This is Dale Merrill, co-author of Strikingly Different Selling, Six Vital Skills to Stand Out and Sell More, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today we welcome Dale Merrill to talk about the book he has co-authored with Scott Savage, Jennifer Colissimo, and Randy Illig, Strikingly Different Selling, Six Vital Skills to Stand Out and Sell More, published by Mango Publishing. Dale Merrill is a global managing director in Franklin Covey's sales performance practice where he helps clients dramatically grow revenues and profitability. For more than 30 years, Dale has led businesses and helped a wide range of clients solve challenges and win more business around the world, including North and South America, Europe, the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Australia. Prior to joining Franklin Covey, Dale served in senior executive leadership roles at several different companies, including as president of a 1,500-employee digital services company, as CEO of a private investment company, and as a partner with a global consulting company. He is a proud graduate of Brigham Young University, go Cougars, and interesting fact, he is also a certified public accountant. Dale, congratulations on strikingly different selling and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. It's great to be here. So you are not the first Brigham Young graduate I've interviewed just because I keep track of these things, you know. I've also interviewed uh, James Muir, author of The Perfect Close. And if you haven't met him, you guys should definitely meet. You both seem like avid outdoorsmen and you've both written terrific books on sales. So... Uh, there you go, yeah. And uh, years ago, back in my ad days, uh, I worked with a Brigham Young graduate uh, to make some TV commercials. He was a football player by the name of Steve Young. Wow! And that was very exciting. I was uh, in New York, and I was working on the you know the the baseball cards tops. They have football cards and so forth. And he was hired to help us promote that season of football cards. And I remember it was right after my son had been born. He's now 27. And I had this picture of Steve Young, and after the shoot, not only did he sign a football for me, which I still have, uh, he autographed this picture, and I said, Steve, can you can you autograph it this way? And I wrote it on a piece of paper, and it said, to Norwood, my son's name, study hard. Right. <laughs> I, said, I said, can you put that on the picture? And he said, oh my gosh, that's great. That's the best thing I've ever written. And sure enough, my son did study hard, and he went to college and has done very well for himself. So uh, there you go. You know, a little uh, Brigham Young street cred I've got going there. So exactly. Now, there's always a first-time listener on the Marketing Book Podcast, and they may be thinking, wait a minute, this is the Marketing Book Podcast. What, what's this book about sales doing here? And... I like sales books. I, in fact, sometimes I get more marketing ideas from reading about sales than from marketing books, even though the marketing books are terrific. But 
The most successful marketers are those that have a deep understanding of sales. They understand what the sales people are doing, what their challenges are, and even more importantly, what the what's going through the buyer's mind and what their hesitations and, and, and where the friction is for them. So marketers should you know, spend a, a day a month with salespeople and you should be reading at least one sales book a year. And if you read a sales book and you think it would be great, give a copy to your, to your sales team. It'll really help uh, bridge the pretty widespread gap between sales and marketing. And Dale, before we started recording, you were telling me about your journey in marketing. Tell the listener about that. Sure. Well, I completely agree. I wish we could have reciprocity between sales and marketing a a lot more. So I started my career at Anderson, Arthur Anderson, and started as an auditor, moved into consulting, kind of grew up through the ranks and became a consulting strategy technology partner. And after Anderson, I left and I chose to start a marketing business. And I actually bought a marketing franchise because I had seen such huge gaps and what I was trying to do as a partner at Anderson, I did a lot of selling, and I saw that marketing often fell short in connecting the gap. So I thought, I need to learn more about this. I learned a ton about selling from marketing. I had a deep respect for marketers, and I loved their creativity and their brilliance. And I just saw that there was a need to marry these two worlds. And for the couple of companies I ran for eight years after Anderson, I had a chance to apply that with myself and thousands of salespeople uh, and my marketing team and just learned a ton. Hmm. So I'm a perpetual student. Well, what were some of the gaps that, or some of the biggest gaps that you saw? I saw that the brilliant marketing was really, really good at being provocative, but it many times fell short in being insightful. And so the gap was, how can you, in a selling context, when you have two humans trying to connect, bring provocative insights that actually mean something to the client that you're trying to connect with? Mm -hmm. So the gap was just, how do you go from provocative to insightful and then relevant to the actual person you're talking to? And so there's there's depth underneath that, but really it goes from... How do you take something that sometimes it feels like a platitude, an empty platitude, to something that means something to the human you're talking to? Mm-hmm. Well, I know you just wrote this book with your co-authors, and I don't mean to add more to your plate, but if you ever want to write a book about aligning marketing and sales, it will be a very popular book because there have not been that many about it, and it is one of the most pressing issues for so many companies. Yeah, I agree. So... As I was reading through the book, of course, with sort of a marketing lens, I read all this about sales, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this also applies to copy you'd have on the website uh, and on, on, on so much of the communication. So that's why right. I sometimes uh, feel like I'm getting more marketing ideas from reading about the challenges that salespeople face. Now, I want to read from the very beginning of the book because, boy, did this pull me in. <laughs> and we'll get into some, that's good. some questions. Yeah, I see what you did there. Well played, good sir. Okay, so this is from page eight for those playing the home game. You wrote, Mark was facing a daunting challenge, 
As a managing director at a global professional services company, he was proposing on a huge technology outsourcing deal. The client viewed the requested services as a commodity, i.e. anyone could provide them. The competitors were three strong companies that competed solely on price, and Mark's company was at the higher end of price and value. He needed a way to stand out and create contrast between his company and the competition, or he would have no chance to win. We met Mark in Bangalore India two months before the proposal was due and coached him on the formula and skills of strikingly different selling. Mark embraced everything we shared and completely changed his approach to the pursuit. Two months later, Mark and his team were awarded a $16 million contract along with praise from the client that his team's proposal stood out as crisp, different, and compelling. After the win, Mark told us that to stand out, he looked at everything his team was planning to say and do in the proposal through the lens of strikingly different selling. Is this relevant? Focusing on what matters most to the client. Distinct, showing something different and better than the competition or status quo, and memorable. Easy to share and hard to forget. And according to Mark, the formula and skills made all the difference in the win. This book is about how to stand out and sell more. It's about becoming strikingly different. When something is strikingly different, it is clearly different and better than its comparison. And finally, the overwhelming evidence shows that the inability of salespeople to stand out is a pervasive issue with costly consequences. Working with sales research firm Primary Intelligence, which we're going to talk about later, we analyzed the results of surveys with more than 5,000 business-to-business decision makers on deals. We found that average win rates were a dismal 17% for deals above 100,000 across multiple industries globally. (laughs) So Dale Merrill, what is the problem? (laughs) Wow. Well, there are a lot of problems. And it really comes down to we wrote this book because we work with thousands of salespeople around the world, arguably some of the best in the world. And what we found is, particularly with the can- the pandemic coming in with COVID-19 affecting everybody, people were having a tough time getting meetings. They were having a tough time having the meetings go somewhere if they did get the meeting. And bottom line is they just weren't winning enough. And there's a lot of reasons for that. If I were to summarize, I'd say, Everybody looks and sounds the same. You imagine in this global world we have with all the technology, a two-person firm can look as impressive and as capable as a 500,000-person firm. And so there's a lot of goodness out there, but there's so much of it that everybody appears to be surprisingly average. Mm -hmm. That's the term that we use to kind of uh, describe Everybody looking and sounding the same. So people just weren't able to stand out. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they just weren't able to sell like they'd like to. Yeah, there's just a sea of sameness out there. Yeah, And uh, there have been books on the show about how to be more different. In fact, Mike Michalowicz's book, Get Different, he talks about how different is uh, usually wins out over better. Uh, and I think you all even touched on that a bit, but there's you 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 talked about all this research you all have done, and I'm going to mention this in a minute here. But you discovered three frustrating struggles most salespeople seem to have in common when it comes to standing out. So salespeople, see if this applies to you. 
One, how can I come up with differentiated messages for my clients? Two, how do I pull the messages together into a cohesive set of stories? And three, how will I share these stories with clients in a compelling way? Now, there were, I think, only two other things I really wanted to dig into and, and quote from the book. And one of them, I guess the second one, <laughs> this blew me away. And then there's one more after that. I just want to quote, this has to do with how much research you all have done. And uh, let me just see, it's page 10. In addition to our frontline experience and ongoing advisory work, we had a unique opportunity to get feedback from client executives on what matters most to them when talking with salespeople. This came about when several global companies engaged us to participate in live sales simulations over a period of six years. As part of these engagements, we saw both sides of nearly 1,700 sales interactions where we had a front row seat as silent observers. This was fascinating work because we watched more than 2,800 experienced salespeople in sales meetings with senior client executives all along the sales cycle. We attended the meetings as observers and interviewed the salespeople and client executives afterwards. It was an incredible opportunity to speak candidly to the selling teams and the clients. I mean, just amazing insight you all had into that. And you write, the salespeople we observed were highly paid and talented professionals. They were exceptionally educated and had long resumes. We expected greatness, solid selling fundamentals, market-leading expertise, and remarkable people skills. And as we interviewed the salespeople after each interaction, we heard the following common responses. Okay, now get ready. Let, 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 you know, listen, you know, listener, let me know if you've heard these. One of them was, I think the meeting went well. It wasn't perfect, but we felt there was a good interaction, and we definitely got what we needed. And another one was, that was a solid meeting. I think we did a good job asking questions and exploring their business challenges. The client executives seemed to like us and clearly wants to engage in further discussions. And finally, they love our solution, our implementation plan, and how clearly different we are from our competitors. We're in a great position to win this opportunity. Okay, now, Dale, earlier I mentioned that you also interviewed the clients. Here's the rub, as Shakespeare would say. What happened when you then spoke with the client executives in all this research? Well, about 70% of the time, the client would pause. And these are all C-suite people. This is CEO, CMO, CDO, CIO, and so forth. All the C-suite. And we asked them, how did that meeting go from your perspective? And we had just heard how amazing it was from the salespeople. And 70% of the time, they paused. And they said something like this. That meeting was a waste of my time. <laughs> what? Seriously? I mean, thumbs down? I can see thumbs sideways, but thumbs down when I have the salespeople having thumbs up? And, and they said in, in a real pursuit, they would not even be invited back. Exactly. It would have just been over. It would have been oh. done. And so, ouch. Fascinating. We thought... This is just because it's a sales simulation, surely. And then we got to the 100th meeting and the 200th, and finally about the 400th meeting, we're slow, right? But we got it finally. We said, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is not some simulation. This is exactly what's happening around the world every day when salespeople meet with clients. Mm -hmm. So we expanded our research to go into the field and actually see this. And sure, sure enough, salespeople give it thumbs up and the clients give it thumbs down. What in the world? Why is that? So that really ticked, that really kicked off our multi-year research and effort to crack the code on this. And if I were to summarize a lot of points here, one key point in a nutshell is 
everybody looks and sounds the same. Clients can't tell the difference from one person to another. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't know if you're going to ask about that statistic, but one of the biggest surprises when we partnered with Primary Intelligence was after looking at 14,000 more... uh, 14,500! 14,500 interactions between B2B buyers and sellers. This is from $100,000 deals up to a billion dollar deals around the world, all the industries. 42% of the time, Buyers could not tell the difference between sellers. That 42%. Just blew me away. Yes, I was yeah. going to talk about that That's when great. we get to the differentiators part, but it was like, oh my goodness. Wow. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess you could say this is a thing. <laughs> so it, 70% it, thing. thought it was a waste of time, and 40, almost half think there's really, there's really no difference. You may think there is, and uh, we'll go into that in a second. Let me just walk real quickly through the table. There's only really six chapters. But I, in this instance, um, if it's okay with you, I kind of wanted to walk through the six uh, st- skills because that is part of the subtitle of the book: six vital skills sure. to stand out in somewhere. And we can't get into the depth that uh, you know is really required. And frankly, I just after I read the book, it's like I wanted to further marinate in this. Um, it's like I want like oh, what, what what additional training <laughs> is there? And I'll and right. let me s- explain what I mean. For years, I've gone to Sandler training and. You know they've got a, they've got a process, and all these different companies have different uh, training companies sure. have different process. So you can read a book about you know their process, but really the benefit to me came from marinating in it for years, or you know absorbing it and trying it out, and 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 it's sort of like um, I think it was David Sandler. He even wrote a book called "You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar," <laughs> and the same right. sort of thing. It's like okay, great, now I'm ready to go. Uh, kind of start the journey of, of practicing all this and, and, and trying it out. So it's really only two parts, and it's only six chapters. But the first part, and it's really just the six skills. Capture attention with verbal billboards, which we'll talk about. Create excitement with movie trailers. Build confidence with flashbacks and flash forwards. Become essential with why us differentiators, which is where we get back to that amazing statistic. And then the last two are validate and co-create, where we get curious and find the gaps, and then we navigate traffic lights and close the gaps. And we're going to explain uh, all this uh, briefly. So yes, it is going to be frustrating for Dale to not be able to go into great detail, but um, you know, he, he, he agreed to this. So here we go. Skill one is capture attention with verbal billboards. And I want to read from page 21. You're right. In a sales context, a billboard is your core message for the client. It consists of a highly captivating main headline and three subheadlines that entice your client to keep listening. The themes carry through to all the other messages in the strikingly different message house. But Dale, can a few headlines really do that much? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's headlines make a huge difference. In fact, this is one of the big surprises that my co-authors and I had as we were researching what works and what doesn't work and working with clients, these client executives, for hundreds of hours, which is really the genesis of how all of this came together. So if you have a headline, it's not enough to be provocative. You have to be provocative and insightful. And it goes back, Douglas, to where we started our conversation when I mentioned I had noticed some gaps between what salespeople do and what marketers do. And so this is one of the places to bridge the gap in a simple way. And this book is all about practical how-to tips and ways to engage with clients. So I can't even overemphasize uh, this enough that 
thinking and speaking in headlines and using the power of contrast from and to is a secret gem that we found again and again and again as the differentiator in someone winning and someone losing, someone connecting and engaging with their client and someone falling off the wayside and and not resonating at all. So it's powerful. Now, you mentioned that gem. Explain this from two. That is a big thread through the book. Yes. A lot of marketers that I have seen do a great job of describing the promised destination, Mm -hmm. the two. And I haven't seen very many, particularly the ones that are trying to translate into selling, that juxtapose from and to and do it well. So the human mind is so powerful, as you know. And when you tell a mini story and you center it around the concept of from and to, current state to future state, and you add another little variable, I'll give you a secret here, Douglas, it's not in the book. Oh, so that's a marketing book podcast extra. That's right. Did you hear that, listener? Only exclusively on Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. From X to Y by when. Mm. And so if you you get into the depth of that, I could tell you dozens, hundreds of stories of success that our clients have had. When you communicate in that way, it makes it come alive for the client. And the client has paints this vivid imagery, more powerful than any cinematography or even music or even a static image, because they in their minds make it very relevant to them. And at some point, I would like to talk about that formula of relevant, distinct, and memorable, because that is the big takeaway for everybody. So when you put those two things together, from and to, and you contrast that, you've just told a miniature story with a beginning and a middle and an end. And it lights up the, um, the dopamine receptors in the brain of our clients, and they want to engage because it's very satisfying and very um, helpful for them. Yes, and it's so true about marketers. They take the Napoleon Dynamite you know, approach of, if you vote for Pedro, all your dreams will come true. <laughs> but they're leaving out the, the from part. And what I'm wondering is, does the from part help to capture the attention because the prospect identifies with the current situation rather than the future state. That's exactly right. It's, it, this is the essence of making it relevant by starting meeting the client where they are and then being exciting in a relevant way for where they can go. Mm-hmm. And we have, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but uh, on page 24, I have several examples that illustrate this. Um, and I could share a couple if that would be Yeah, I, that's just what I was going to say. Let's share a few examples of these of these billboards, because I think without the examples, people still might not, uh, or they might possibly misunderstand. Okay. So these are all real clients, and we just took the name off just for, to protect their, their brand. And we, so we had a customer relationship management platform company. Uh, most everybody would know who this is. They were using, in the public sector, they were, we worked with them, um, and meaning they work with governments around the world and, and other agencies around the world. They had this headline they were trying to have their reps use when they were trying to get through the door to their client. You can make resource decisions faster. Well, that's the two. Mm-hmm. So we would call that surprisingly average. So what would be a strikingly different headline? You, here's what it is. You can cut the time to make resource decisions from more than four weeks to less than two hours. Yes. We had a data center company. This one, I laughed when I heard it. I, I, and the client and I laughed together. 
provision dedicated connectivity and hyper-converged infrastructure faster. <laughs> wow. Don't say that, right? Yeah. What could you say that's strikingly different? You can deploy new infrastructure in just hours and days, not weeks and months. Yeah. So you're going from hours and days to weeks and months. Right. Another one, we worked with this truck. We worked with a very large uh, truck driving company. And so think of those big 18-wheelers you see on the road in all countries. And they were desperate trying to get drivers to join them. Yeah, it seems like all those trucking companies for years have had trouble with that. Right. And then the pandemic came, and now we're now it's really they're in a pickle. They were using this, this tagline, we have flexible driving schedules. Because they thought that's what the drivers wanted. And it was, but it wasn't relevant in the words and phrases that the actual truck drivers used. So we did some research, and we found that what they wanted was predictability, and specifically, they wanted to be home when they wanted to be home. So mm-hmm. we came up with this. Go from unpredictable schedules to being home when you want to be. Mm. That simple change opened the floodgates, and of course, they did more work. It wasn't just a headline. They did work to contact people, but they built an entire structure underneath that. This became their overall main message. This would be like the main headline for the billboard. Mm-hmm. And then they built some of the from two subheadlines underneath that, and it really worked. So I could go on. There's many other examples. Yes. But juxtaposing from and to is powerful, and not in a cheesy way. Here's where salespeople fall short. Sometimes they think they have to be an advertising executive or a marketing genius, and they don't. You, don't, you just have to connect with the client and meet them where they are. Not over the top, not underwhelming, but... In a marketing in a marketing phrase, press the hot button just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was uh, maybe Ogilvy who said something like, "If you're if you're selling fire extinguishers, focus on the fire." Exactly. <laughs> something like that. If you're selling drills, focus on the job to be done. Is not the drill; it's the hole that you're trying. Yes, to make. yes. So focus on the hole and the size of the hole. Then you can talk about the solution, and that's a really pervasive thing that we have throughout the book. Just thoughtful about the job to be done and what are you hiring this product or solution or person to do and that job to be done is where you can become aspirational on a from to standpoint that makes it actually pop and stand out very different than the competitor so true okay so let's go to the next one in a world where the sun burns cold and the wind blows colder A visitor has come, but not by herself. Okay, so the second one is skill two, create excitement with movie trailers. Now, I don't think you mean that kind of movie trailer, but, you know, if you talk about how if you want to help decisive action take place, you could learn something from the movie industry. Explain what you mean there and why you guys use movie trailer uh, analogy. Messages fall flat unless you humanize them. And we found that a billboard, the core message for the client, needs a delivery vehicle. So we went and took a note from the film industry, which globally has figured this out. So if you think about a movie that you have seen, and if I ask people the question, what made you go to that movie? Almost always they'll say, well, we saw a movie trailer. Mm Mm-hmm. So we actually met with executives in, in uh, 
the film industry around the world, not just in North and South America, but actually in, in Europe and, and the Middle East, to see what is the formula that successful movie traders follow. And it's very simple. We found it repeatedly, consistently across the world. Capture attention, create interest, and then call to action. Capture, create, call. So we studied and studied the, this film industry and realized that the, and this is no surprise to all of the marketers out there, so bear with me for one second. I'll get to the point. <laughs> the the uh, movie production company and the movie trailer production company are 98% of the time different. It's some typically a creative agency who does the movie trailer. And they have a goal pre-pandemic. It was very simple. We need to get, they'd say, butts in seats. We need human beings to go to the theater, pay for the movie, buy some soda, some popcorn. And with a high degree of accuracy, they could predict what the overall revenue production would be for that movie. So they were very focused on the demographics of who they're talking to and how do they need to shape different versions of the trailer to resonate with the audience, right? Mm -hmm. No surprise to anybody. We found in the selling world, when he brought this concept back in the selling world, that salespeople were often falling short and they were not resonating with the client like they should. So the overall, I'm going to take a pause and talk about the, the overall pervasive mindset of the book is one of looking through the lens of being relevant, distinct, and memorable. It's where mm-hmm. you started, Douglas. Yeah, and relevant. let's talk about that because that is, a, I guess, a, quite the denominator <laughs> throughout the right. book. Yeah, so... To use a, a, a mathematical term that a CPA would be comfortable with. That, that warms my heart. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. You're welcome. I feel happiness now. So, so as we think about relevant means focusing on what matters most to the client. Distinct means showing them something different and better. And I know there's an argument you mentioned earlier uh, that maybe different is more important than better. In a selling context, it is not. You have to be different and better in a way that matters to the client, which goes back to relevance. And then finally, the last one is make it easy to share and hard to forget. So when we looked at this movie trailer of capture attention, create interest, and call to action, we could nail all of the importance of relevant, distinct, and memorable in a way that resonates with the client. So here's how it works. In the billboard, if you read the book, you'll notice that we talk about you've got to come up with a main headline. If you only had one sentence to describe to the client why they should be talking with you, what would it be? That's your main headline. Mm-hmm. And in the rule of threes, you have three supporting from two subheadlines underneath that. Well, going to the movie trailer, to deliver that, you're going to take your main headline and pop it in to capture attention. And then you're going to add the connection to the human, whether it's through a digital medium like email or a LinkedIn message or Twitter or something else, but some connection to get through. So you'll find, you'll, you'll introduce yourself we talk about the best way to do that, and there's some secrets on you never use an internal-facing title. It's always a client-facing uh, title that they would understand. So instead of me saying, hi, I'm Dale Merrill from Franklin Covey. I'm a managing director. They don't care about that, but they would care about if they're trying to do something in sales performance. Hi, I'm Dale Merrill with Franklin Covey. I lead our sales performance practice globally. Mm-hmm. That might mean something to them. And believe it or not, that sounds so simple, Douglas, but having worked with thousands of salespeople, they don't do that. So once you've connected, you've told them context of why you're talking to them, again, either through email or verbally, then you give them the headline. 
of how you could go from this to this, um, from X to Y. And if, do you have just a couple of minutes for me to share one cut deeper on that to see if there might be enough interest to keep talking? If they say yes, then you get into create interest and you have those three from two subheadlines from the billboard. This is getting a little bit detailed for those who haven't read the book. Think of it this way. When you're looking, how many of us um, decide to read a news story in any given day? Most everybody. Yeah. How do you, how do you decide what to read, right? If you look at your phone, Douglas, um, how do you decide of all the news services, how do you decide what article to read? Well, the headline. Yeah. So it's the headline and you click, if you're like me, then you go into the body of it and you've got maybe, they have five seconds to, ca- to create enough interest for us to stay compelled and stay engaged. Mm-hmm. We found it's exactly the same way when you're delivering a message to a client. You have to have one cut deeper, not too much, but enough that get, provides color and context so that it feels relevant, distinct, and memorable to them. Then when you pause and get the reaction before you invite them to meet with you or whatever, that's when you engage. Reciprocity kicks in and they lean forward. So the overall summary of movie trailer, it's a brilliant delivery vehicle at the start of a proposal or presentation or at the one end of the sales cycle when you're at the very end trying to win. It's a really great way to get a meeting if you don't have one. And it's a great way to engage with your whoever you're meeting with, uh, clients and others, at the start of a meeting. Mm. So it's just a really great multi-purpose delivery vehicle. Interesting discovery that you all uh, made there. And also, you gave examples in the book of how not to do it. <laughs> and as I was reading through some of them, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like myself or anybody listening probably is being approached by people trying to sell to us. Right. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I, it's it's almost like you had access to my email <laughs> to see some of these horrible pitches I get. As I read through the examples of how to do it better, or how to do it correctly, I just thought, oh, I wish I would definitely respond <laughs> to, some of the, to some of the ways that they were on here. Yeah. So uh, it, it was kind of a, a weird response, but it's almost like I want to say, I want to scan a couple of these pages and just email them <laughs> back to some of these folks. I'll just send them a link to this interview. How about that? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, they're probably all good prospects for you. So- Let's go to the next one, uh, which is skill number three, build confidence with flashbacks and flash forwards. And I had to chuckle on page 68 when I read, instead of droning on about how incredible you, your company, and your solutions are, tell a flashback success story from the perspective of a past client to illustrate how your differences help them achieve success. So can you explain this uh, flashback and, and flash forward and, and make sure to include the why, what, why framework? Because that was a, yet another pretty big thread throughout this. Sure. So I've been in sales and marketing for more than 30 years. And I have had, when I ran those two companies, as just like you, Douglas, tons of people were always trying to get through mm-hmm. um, and talk to me. If when they ever did get through and talk to me and I asked them something like this, where have you done this before? Here's what I heard. Uh, mm, uh, uh, well, we worked with this company and this company and this company and it just fell flat. It's like taking a Coke, you know, pouring it into a cup and leaving it there for six hours and then trying to take a sip. Right. You know, not, not very bubbly. So, and you know what, they've been asked that in the past. They've been asked that every single time and they just never had a simple framework. So as we worked with these client executives, uh, global people for hundreds of hours, 
And they told us, stop stuttering and stammering. Because we said, what did the salespeople do that's driving you crazy when you ask the question, well, where have you done this before? And they said, stuttering, stammering, and not giving me a nice, tight answer. Here's, here's what we learned. Clients want us to set the table, not serve them a five-course meal. So we found that if we can start with why, think Simon Sinek. We mm-hmm. love Simon Sinek. Start with why. Give them a little bit of what, and then give them why. It makes for a compelling story you can deliver in under 90 seconds. And it's just about what the client wants. For example, Douglas, let's imagine you're the client. I'm uh, representing some company and some solution. We're having a really good conversation. And then you pause, Douglas, and you say to me, Dale, I like what you're describing here. Can you tell me, where have you done this before? Mm-hmm. And if I'm on my toes, it would sound something like this. Well, Douglas, as we've been talking about your challenges and your situation, I couldn't help but think about another client in a very similar situation. Let me just tell you why they needed to change, what we did and learned and achieved together, and why that might matter to you in your situation. Then we can come back and dive into your your, um, issues more in depth and go from there. How does that sound? It sounds good, and you're asking me for permission to proceed, which is rare. Yeah, I, I know. So, and so what you do, the old adage of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them is alive and well, big time in trying to build confidence and credibility. So then, so you have in your pocket a couple of these flashbacks. So this why, what, why framework is a powerful way to serve up past success stories in a way that would resonate with the client. It requires you to do some prep in advance and have some ideas. You don't have to have it memorized. Just some good ideas about another similar client or two that you can share. And then the what, what we did, learned, and achieved. Um, and then the, the final why, why it might matter to the client. We found that, we call it a flashback, is a powerful way to set the table. And if the client wants more, they will. But don't make the mistake of giving them too much. Mm-hmm. So that's flashback. And let me just let me just recap the thread there. Why did the former client need help? What did they do, achieve, or learn as a result? And why does this story matter to your current client? Right. Okay. So the, the flash forward. Right. Quick story, if it's okay. Yeah. So we we were again. We work with all kinds of people around the world. We were with a very prestigious, um, the leadership of a very prestigious firm, uh, a big consulting firm globally. They had a 35-year person who had been with this particular firm his whole career. When we shared with him this story format of why, what, why, and he was with his whole team, and these people are the ones who closed the billion-dollar deals around the world, and they, they hired us to coach and help him. He said, Dale, that is the most powerful thing I have ever heard. It just lit him up. He said, if I had had that 30 years ago, it would have completely changed how I communicate. Because I'm completely focused on the client. It's their why, and I'm giving them a story that's completely relevant instead of us jumping up on the table and saying how amazing we are. So it's very client-centric. So Mm. quick antidote there. Yeah. The flash forward is the flip side of what I just described on uh, flashback. So flash forward is what does the future journey look like for this client? Mm -hmm. And it typically comes up like this. Douglas, again, let's say we're talking. You're the client. Say, wow. Dale, you're getting me excited. I, I like what you're saying here. What would this thing look like for us? 
And this is where lots of salespeople fumble the ball, they fall over, they, they don't do a good job. And it's very <laughs> And simple. they say, well, we'll send you an invoice. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, 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 we'll get started. We, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, they, they don't have anything crisp, but if you use why, what, why, you're again beginning and ending with why, which mm-hmm. is a powerful way to tell a story. Well, let me just share with you, based on our conversation and what we've researched so far, why you might want to consider changing now, what the journey would look like at a very high level, and then why you might want to go on the trip. Very simple. And if you can do that, we just found, again, we've tested this thousands of times. It's just a nice, compelling way to engage them early on. And if you fast forward all the way to the end of the sales cycle, when you snap all this together, um, and I can, I'll, if we have time, I'll tell you as many stories as you'd like. Well, I bought a lot of extra audio tape at Costco today, so we are okay. good to go. Good. Yeah, so it's just a great way, early stage, to capture their, to continue um, building on the attention you have, getting them excited for the journey. At the end of the sales cycle, this is actually how you deliver your proposal, why they need to change, you know, what the journey looks like, including investment, return on investment, all of that, uh, the phases, and then why they might want to go on this trip, where you pull in your three unique differentiators, which we're probably about to get to. Yes. Well, you know, the why, what, why really seems to have stuck in this knuckleheaded podcaster's uh, head. That <laughs> I just, uh, that seemed to have been more, I don't know, maybe like the fellow you were just describing, uh, more revelatory to me. So, yeah, let's go to the um, differentiators. And again, now this is back to what you mentioned at the beginning. The Again, this was with primary intelligence. And you analyze the results of surveys with more than 14,500 business-to-business decision makers. Buyers saw no difference between vendors 42% of the time, and I'm only laughing to keep from crying. (laughs) So uh, you you talk about how clients make decisions based on differences, not similarities. Explain what you mean there. Well, one quick anecdotal story, just to bolster that research, the hard science. I was with a group of senior executives um, back uh, about a year and a half ago, um, and 24 of them. And I told them that we did this informal experiment where we pulled all the information from the top five competing companies to them, put it into a database, took the logo off, and then mixed them up, and then we tried to pick which one was which. Oh, right. This Yes, this was in the book, right. <laughs> we, could, we couldn't do it. We could not tell. And the, there was there ego? Yeah, there was some ego there on their part. They said they stood up almost as a group and said, you would never – we could easily pick our company's language. Do Go to our sector and do our stuff, not just a generic you know, overall company. I said, fine. So you want to you want to bet dinner? And they said, yeah. So so that night I went and pulled language from the from four competing firms. Um, actually, pardon me, three competing firms and theirs. So we had four, and and I just and I very faithfully put the words, took the logos off, and then the very next morning I said, okay, let's do it. So I popped up one, two, three, and four, and I said, you you pick your language from your website, and I didn't change a word. Eighty percent of them picked. The, their competitor's website is their own. Their competitor's language is their own. So then they very humbly bought me dinner and said, okay, we're listening. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, great. It, so it gets in, how do you differentiate? How, how, when, when you get to the point where this whole book, by the way, was written through the lens of the buyer. Mm-hmm. It's the first sales book, that, at least that we're aware of, that really tried to faithfully do that. 
and communicate as the clients want to be communicated with. So as it relates to differentiators, and we worked with these executives, they said, we love that why, what, why approach. Just use that. And, in, and here's some of the key nuggets here. When people say, how are you different? You might say something like this. You know, our clients tell us that several things make us quite different than our competitors. And here's the thing. Our differences only matter if they make a difference to you. So let me just describe how we believe you'll be different as a result of working with us. Then you give the why. So here are three things. Boom, boom, boom. You know, whatever those three things are. And here's the nugget. You have to have a point of comparison. Nobody does a point of comparison. They all do a a declarative statement that is about the, you know, something amazing about their technology, their people, their process, how big they are, whatever. If you get to a client-focused lens, think about the billboard. I'll, I'll connect the dots here. On the billboard, you're supposed to think and speak in headlines, link to the client's goals and issues, and use from to outcomes. In a YS differentiator, you, on each of those differentiators, have to align that differentiator with whatever problem you're solving for the client or whatever result you're giving them. Then you give them a point of comparison that makes it stand out. Without that point of comparison... For example, let's say you're talking to a healthcare uh, executive, and let's say this healthcare um, uh, this, this individual runs a large healthcare system, and it has skilled nursing facilities, right? Mm-hmm. And their their lengths of stay this should resonate with any healthcare person listening. The lengths of stay have been skyrocketing for a variety of reasons, and it's costing them a lot of money. They're losing money. They're going to have to shut their doors. One of the points that's so, that's so key to that executive is how can I reduce the length to stay at my skilled nursing facilities? And let's say you have a really cool way to do analytics. So you might say this. Uh, let's say the person's name Sasha. Sasha, as we've been talking, and she says, how are, you, how are you folks any different than anybody else? You might say, what I just said, we, we, many clients tell us we have things that are quite different, and we want to focus on how you'll be different as a result of working with us. Mm. So one of the key things is we have something called um, advanced analytics. It's a counterintuitive way to do research on your whole system that gets you results two times faster than the traditional approach of top-down. Let me just, so that's the why. The what is, let me tell you what we're going to do with that in, in your system if we work together. Instead of going in and looking at the worst performing facilities and getting after those first, we have this proprietary algorithm that runs through your whole system and finds the ones that will yield the highest return in the shortest amount of time, and that's where we start. And rarely is that done. Well, why does that matter to you? Because we believe, based on our preliminary work here, that you'll be able to actually, instead of going up by 11% a year on lengths of stay, in a 12-month period, you'll be able to lower that to by nine, by nine, sorry, from 11% down to a negative 9% within 12 months because of this counterintuitive way that we approach it. Mm-hmm. So when you put together the why, what, why, it starts resonating with the client because you have a point of comparison. You're beginning with why. It's important to them. You're telling them a little bit of what you'll do with that difference that makes a difference to them. And you end with the last why of why they'll get different and better outcomes as a result. Oh, terrific. Really, really different. And in this chapter, you give examples of some of the things that people do say, like, oh, uh, our people. <laughs> or, right. Our people work hard. 
or uh, we've got bright team members and uh, what else do we have? Or some of these others, uh, uh, just it, it's painful and I see it all the time, but I want to go to page 89 and we've talked about this, but I don't think we can underscore this enough. And this applies to marketing and sales and frankly, business strategy. And I want to ask you, you talk about, let's see, over six years we spent doing our research. We asked the clients what they needed and wanted to hear when the seller was sharing their differences. And the clients said sellers make it too hard to determine how they're different in two, just two key ways. Can you talk about that? Yeah, really simple. And this was, this was expressed to us with passion and energy. They said, first, that sellers are always focused on themselves. They're talking about their solution, their company, how amazing they are. And they said, we don't like that. <laughs> they said, you know, tell us what is in it for us. It's so obvious. There's so many insights we found that seem so blatantly often, uh, obvious, Douglas, but almost everybody does it. And again, after watching thousands of people, we're all very self-referenced. Second, they said, these sellers, most of the time, are unable to show how their differences are going to create a competitive advantage for us. They never connect the dots. <laughs> it's because it's all about them. Yeah, It's all about them. The tragedy through, through our whole experience was, it's so simple, the things that people could do to connect the dots. The clients will not connect the dots. On any of these stories, they will not connect the dots. You have to do it. And by connecting the dots means tie it back to what's the most important to them, i.e. be relevant and show them something distinct so it's different and better for them. And then you make it memorable, easy to share and hard to forget. If you do that, wow, it, the whole thing changes mm. dramatically. Yeah, and I just see that so much in marketing where it's all about us. Or right. as I once heard at a, a luncheon I went to years ago, there was some speaker and uh, he was talking about how uh, – this instance was about advertising, but he was talking about how um, – you ever notice how local bank ads, they wee all over themselves? And I thought, uh-oh, what? <laughs> this guy this, – this took an interesting term. But he was saying, no, we this and we that and oh <laughs> Now, yes. now I, I can't watch a lot of live television anymore unless I'm watching <laughs> live sports. But uh, – well, let's get to the last two. Okay. So, so those are the first four skills, but really the last two are <laughs> kind of where the action is. And it's because yeah. y there was a book on the show uh, back in 2015 uh, called Web Marketing That Works by a couple of uh, Australians, Adam Franklin and Toby Jenkins. And I remember in that book, uh, they talked about how to do all this web marketing. It was very well done. And I'll include a link to that interview at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. But one of the many big ideas I got from that book was when they said, look, the purpose of all this online stuff is to get offline. Now, you could argue, well, maybe not so much for e-commerce, but for most everyone, the purpose of all this online stuff is to get offline, you know, like in a, a conversation of some type. And that came to mind, the section on get curious and find the gaps. So just like we were talking earlier, where you, you ask permission, you say, D do you want to go further? It's a similar type of thing where you're you're getting some some feedback and you write the point of each of those story forms that we just went through those four is to put forward something the client can respond to <laughs> beginning a back and forth dialogue between the seller and the client and you go on to write in this chapter about 
if they're asking all the questions, you're losing. And that's a pretty standard uh, bit of sales advice. So you want the prospect doing most of the talking. So t- talk about this, uh, get curious and, and find the gaps part. Yeah, you are right. This, particularly in early stage, where most people think traditionally about selling, this is just vital. In fact, if I were giving you a percentage, take a coin. One side of the coin is talking, and the other side of the coin is asking and listening. In an early stage meeting, it, it should be at least 70% you asking and listening. You know, 70% of the client talking and 30% you. Most salespeople get that wrong. So one of the things we really debate is where to put this in the book, because you do have to earn the right to ask questions. You have to earn the right to slow down and engage in a human-to-human dialogue. If you look carefully through what we wrote in the first four skills, it's about connecting and then starting the engagement. All of those vehicles we mentioned, a billboard, movie trailer, flashback, flash forward, and YS differentiators, are all about 90 seconds. So if you think about an interaction... But they're vital. Without that, you're, it's a fishing expedition. Right, but that's that. the starting gun, not the finish line. That's right. You, you got it. So you really did read the book. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So in, here's the thing. Our, our ideas, our provocative insights, our solutions, what we describe as a message house in the book, you know, with the roof being the billboard and then the movie trailer underneath that and the walls, the flashbacks and flash forwards and so forth on that foundation of RDM, that's all to engage with the client and ask them questions. What problems are you trying to solve? And what results are you trying to achieve? And, and then really exploring, asking questions and exploring. And so if I were to say, how does this go forward in any sales interaction, there's at least five inflection points. Start of the meeting and end of a meeting are the two big bookends and there's two or three in between. And so if you start for two minutes and share a provocative insight, and by the way, when we ask these client executives, how long do you want the salesperson to talk before they engage you? They said, two minutes. We Mm. said, really? They said, yeah. Not the chit-chat, not the connection. Let's do that. But when you start the meeting, give us a light agenda and then get your point of view on the table in two minutes and then be quiet and engage us. Nobody does that, Douglas. When I say nobody... Less than 5% of all the people we've seen. We mm-hmm. call them strikingly different. Everybody else drones on. Mm-hmm. So it's a balance of time. So you put the insight on the table, then you spend 10 minutes drawing them out and finding out what do you think about that? Where, where are you going in this market over here? What, what are you struggling with over here? And what key results do you want? We call it moving off the solution or moving off the, uh, the, the message house, your, your own ideas. And then there will come a point when the client will ask you a question, such as, well, where have you done that before? Then you'll take a couple of minutes, or I'll say it differently, 90 seconds to share, set the table with a little bit of a flashback. Then you go back down and do more discovery. So if people keep that, my, that balance in mind of 70-30, 70 client, 70% client talking and 30% us, they'll be in good shape on all the principles in the book, and it will really make a difference for them. Um, and then if, as you go through the sales cycle, at the very end of the sales cycle, that would all obviously uh, invert because at some point the client wants to really hear what you have to say on the solution and, and how are you really going to help them. Then it would be more like 70 you and 30 them. Yes. And at the top of this uh, conversation, Dale, I talked about three parts that I wanted to quote from. And this is the third part. It's on page 106 in the book. And it was almost like reading about a uh, train wreck. <laughs> and, and this 
for me, helped underscore why this section is so important. You write, unfortunately, many salespeople believe that if they talk enough, they can convince the client to buy. That paradigm cuts short the critical discovery dialogue that identifies the client's real issues and motivators. Our research, again, with primary intelligence, found some troubling statistics about salespeople's ability to understand clients' needs. The number one cited sales issue that needed to be addressed to win was understanding buyer needs. Understanding buyer needs was the single most important sales criteria to buyers by a factor of three. That is, it's three times more important than the next most important sales criteria, which were responsiveness and product knowledge. Right. The deal size increases the ability of the sales team to understand buyer needs diminishes, which is uh, shouldn't be surprising, but it statement of fact, I suppose. And the top three root causes for failing to understand the buyer's needs were vendor spent no or too little time up front to learn about the buyer. Vendor didn't tailor the proposed solution to the buyer's needs. Vendor didn't tailor presentations around the buyer's needs. So there was uh, one other thing I wanted to ask about was... um, structuring the uh, conversation to help with this. So we've uh, helped to establish what the problem is. But there's a, a very interesting part on page 116 about how to structure the conversation with the client to get them talking and to uh, maximize your time. Could you, can you talk about the, the, some of the steps that you should use to try to structure a conversation? Really pretty much any conversation, I would think. Yeah. This is probably the single most impactful discovery thing that anybody could learn. And if I had time with people it, in 10 minutes, I can get them to really, it, through an experience, really absorb this. The steps are, it goes like this. Douglas, you and I are talking. You're the client. Um, you, you and, and I've shared with you like my movie trailer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you go, that's really interesting. And you ask me a question. And then I respond by doing something like this. Douglas, I really want to understand where you're trying to go in your company. Could, could we just... Can I just ask you, what what are some of the top problems you're trying to solve as it relates to this thing we just talked about here or results you're trying to achieve? We call issues problems to be solved or results to be achieved. And so you start telling me issue one, two, and three, and I go, great. And the second step is uh, make sure the list is complete. So you get a quick list of the issues, problems or results. That's number one. And the first thing they mention isn't usually the real problem. I seem to recall you you talk about that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so like the therapist, you, you know. That, that yeah, you you need to you need to, to let them kind of get it out there, and then you ask them what's most important. So, first step, get that list. Second step, ask them anything else, just to make sure you got a complete list. Third one, find out which issue is most important to the client. So, of all these issues, Douglas, that you mentioned, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, which one of those would rise to the top for you? You might pick C. By the way, ninety-five percent of the time. It's not the first thing mentioned. <laughs> right. So don't get excited and jump off into getting too in deep on that first one. Just let them, let it roll. Yeah. And step four is then you go into, develop, into depth on that most important issue and you develop some evidence and some impact. Evidence is a description of what the client's seeing, hearing, or feeling that lets them know it's an issue. And impact is what makes it so important to them. Mm-hmm. And it become, this becomes such a great relationship builder. Then... You'll have this discussion, you'll summarize everything back, and you ask two questions. First, did I get it right, which is an accuracy question, and second, did I leave anything out, which is a completeness question. 
And uh, this is, I've, I've done this hundreds, maybe even thousands of times now, and with from chairmen of the board of Fortune 50 companies all the way down to the newest employee at a company, and I've never had a miss, meaning... <laughs> It's client-focused, and you can step on your tongue. You can make mistakes. It doesn't matter because they like the conversation. Mm-hmm. And all like 99.9% of the time, they're going to say, that was one of the best discussions I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And then what it does is it lights up that initial movie trailer or uh, you know the flashback you share. It lights it up for them in their mind, and it causes resonance where you, you feel like you're on the same page and you want to keep talking. And you're right, Douglas. This is all about slowing down and getting to authentic human interaction. That's mm. the whole point. You know, there. I have to tell you one of the margin notes I wrote here. Were you this question uh, under impact? Because we talk about issues, evidence, impact. What makes this issue important to you? And just so you know how my twisted mind works, I thought that is so much better than saying how does that make you feel. <laughs> Which is, I just can't, I can't keep a straight face saying that because people think I'm trying to imitate a, a psychiatrist. But what makes this issue important to you, I think is such a, so much better way of getting at the real emotional reason why it's important to you then. So uh, just to wrap up this, the uh, next to last section, I actually laughed at this part. Now, this isn't a comedy book, but for some reason, you guys had me laughing. It says, there's a whole separate section here on what clients want. Yeah. It seems to be based on quite a bit of research. You write, uh, like like so much of the book, clients want us to truly listen with the intent to understand. It sounds simple, yet most of us find this incredibly difficult in practice. Recently, we interviewed executives from tech, banking, real estate, and other industries about how they like to be sold to and what absolutely drives them crazy. (laughs) And then you go on to say, one error was so common that executives called it the Hall of Fame crash and burn, which is... (laughs) Not surprised. It's not listening. But then on the next page, and you have all these verbatims of things they actually said from the research. And the one that got me cracked up was this one person wrote, salespeople listen so rarely that I found myself doing a whole lot of coaching, like (laughs) stopping them and saying, listen, I'm going to tell you exactly what we need. They still don't listen, even when they're being told exactly what the client needs. <laughs> I think I've been in situations like that. It's like, yeah, let, let me let me just tell you. <laughs> nope. In one ear, yeah. out the other. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that that is so pervasive. And it's it was so surprising again for the first, I don't know, a few hundred times that we watched it. But then we just realized everybody is self-focused. Mm. It's like Brian Regan, the comedian. You ever seen a yeah, yeah. monster routine? The, go look up the me monster routine when some person goes to a party and they can only talk about themselves. You know, me, 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 me. That's what we see in spades in the sales selling industry. And we're trying to break that habit. Yes. Oh, I will try to find that video and include it's, it on your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. Yeah. Terrific. Well, last question about the book. Skill number six, navigate traffic lights and close the gaps. Explain this metaphor. So... Most sales pursuits are like driving down the road on a city street. So if you if you go early in the morning or late at night, you have a lot of green lights, you know, an occasional yellow light and an occasional red light. As you move towards the middle of the day, you have lots more yellow lights when you come to an intersection and you get into that grind of <laughs> the rush hour grind and lots of red lights. So 
in selling, you have to be able to navigate these traffic lights at all the intersections with, that you have with other human beings called clients. And so it's how you handle pushbacks and challenges and objections. Some are easy. Just answer the question. It's a green light. You can accelerate and move on. Others are harder. You have to slow down just like you slow down for a yellow light. Mm -hmm. and, and then others are really jugular and tough and they're red. And you have to really work hard to either turn into green or gracefully exit. And so we have some, some real, I think this is some of the best objection handling that I have, I've been through like you, probably every sales training known to human, the human race. And <laughs> there's lots of great stuff out there, but this is so crystallized. It's a three-part approach that really is helpful and builds the relationship no matter how hard or jugular their issue is. And even if you have to exit the, relation, the, uh, the opportunity, you will have an opportunity to build the relationship. So we've just seen great success with it. And from my perspective, this section doesn't really work if you don't do the other five correctly to begin with. Exactly. So right. in other words, there's been authors on the show like Jeb Blunt or James Muir, and they, they talk about how people come to this saying, hey, we, all we, the only training we need is uh, overcoming objections. <laughs> and basically, like uh, your no. book, they're saying, well, it's that's kind of baked into the whole process, you know. Uh, <laughs> if exactly if you haven't addressed those potential objectives to begin with, it's, you really have some um, tough sledding ahead. So it, it was, but it was very, very practical, and it even talked about how to not burn the bridge when you have to decline a business opportunity because sometimes they'll they'll come back to you. Yes, yeah, yeah. for sure. So, Dale, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope that they would completely live the strikingly different pattern of relevant, distinct, and memorable. Relevant means focusing on what matters most to the client. Distinct means showing them, the client, something different and better. And memorable means making it easy to share and hard to forget. So if they could just do that in any interaction, it doesn't even have to be selling. Think about a loved one. You're focusing on what matters most to them, showing them something different and better, or a colleague, or a friend, or or somebody else. Yeah, and so uh, it's almost as if you snuck in a, a life skills book. <laughs> we tried this. to. Yeah. We thought of that. We tried yeah. that. <laughs> right. So, you know, the problem though, Dale, come on, that requires focusing on someone else. And I'd rather talk about myself and how awesome I am. No, I'm kidding. So- <laughs> Is there one thing, just one thing a listener could do today, different from yesterday, to maybe put in action one of the ideas uh, from your book, perhaps while they're waiting for the book to arrive? Right. I would just say pop contrast, meaning really start working on using compare and contrast from two statements in your mm. communication. So if you can just focus on a simple concept of, I'm going to start speaking a little bit more in headlines which is the inductive method, right? Instead of deductive, making, well, first this and this and this and then that, try using headlines with from to. It will completely change internal meetings, external meetings. It'll change. I wish our, my marketing very good friends out there would capture this in their mind of juxtaposing from and to and seeing the power of, of lighting up current state versus future state in the same sentence. Mm. So that's something that everybody could start working on right now. Try it, folks. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going to have uh, damaged tissue by trying this. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> We hope not. Yeah. Well, so a question I always ask first-time guests, uh, 
looking back, what books have most inspired your working career? Yeah. Wow. I'm an avid reader. And the book that really rocked me more than 30 years ago and still does to this day was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, I'm so relieved you said that. (laughs) But not surprised because there's actually a backstory. Yeah. That and big, uh, there is a backstory to that. Um, and when I was in grad school, my wife got a marketing job uh, for Stephen R. Covey, who had just started this new company called Covey Leadership Center. And they had, I think, 15 people when she joined. They got up to about 20 when she was there. She put me through grad school. And um, he was, mor- Stephen was mortgaging his house. He was to pay payroll. And we thought, man, is this thing going to survive? And then he came out with this amazing seminal work called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And my wife and I were invited to be part of one of the initial beta groups. So we had a chance to participate with Stephen and learn from him. And then the book came out and wow, it just changed fundamentally how I think about myself and about others. And it had me approach things very differently. So that's probably the greatest, most impactful work I've also, I love Jim Collins. I love Good to Great. I had a chance to go see him just after he wrote Good to Great, or he came and saw us. I was a partner at Arthur Anderson. He flew mm-hmm. to Chicago. And I really loved the concept. And then he came out with Great by Choice. And there's a quote in there that has stuck with me, if I could share it. He, he said this, when he was saying, why do some companies have 10 times the returns of everybody else? Because he went through 2,500 companies and got it down to just a handful. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's this. He said, the signature of mediocrity is not an unwillingness to change. The signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. Mm. And that was so impactful. I thought, I am so inconsistent, right? I need to be, I need to have a system, a way of doing things. So that's really had a big impact. So probably those two authors, Stephen R. Covey um, on Seven Habits and then Jim Collins on all of his work, but particularly those two have just really made an impact on me. Yeah. I may have been one of the later ones because I only read Seven Habits about 25 years ago. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, but you got to catch up. Yeah. But I, uh, I can remember uh, reading that and just, uh, it was one of those, uh, you know, seminal books uh, in your career that you you read and you you remember. I remember right where I was when I read it. I can remember. Yeah, it's so interesting. And 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 what's funny is before we were recording, so the listener knows, I said, "Did you ever meet Stephen Covey?" Because <laughs> I just thought, "Wow!" And you said, "Oh yeah." And then you told me the whole story, and I'm just thinking, "My goodness, wow! That is that is really." That is really something. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you uh, recommend or are looking forward to reading besides the the book I've suggested you write about sales and marketing alignment? Right. So <laughs> exactly. You know, th- there's a book that um, I am going to buy. Uh, it's it's called AMP. It's called AMP It Up, uh, Leading for Hypergrowth by Raising Expectations, Increasing Urgency, and Elevating Intensity. And Frank Slootman wrote that. He's the Snowflake CEO. Um, they, they, he took that company public in, in the fall of 2020, so about a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. And it was the biggest software IPO to date. It's really a leadership book. 
it's about how to transform an organization. And so I've, I've read the pages. I'm, I'm literally, uh, I was talking to a friend about it yesterday. I'm going to order that and I'm excited to read it. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Amp it up leading for hyper growth by raising expectations, increasing urgency and elevating intensity. Terrific. I appreciate you sharing that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, as I've mentioned, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including all the books that we've mentioned. I'm going to include a link to your LinkedIn uh, profile and your, your company site. And to the listener, if you would, please, more than leaving me a five-star uh, iTunes review or sending me a bottle of wine, which are fine, but I really want you to reach out to Dale and thank him for being a guest on the podcast. If you have a question, reach out to him. But if nothing else, just say, hey, congratulations on your book. But please let him know that you listen to this because if he writes another one, he's going to have to decide which which podcast he comes back to. And seriously, so many authors are so uh, tickled by hearing from listeners uh, on the Marketing Book Podcast, even if it's just to say, hey, thanks for putting up with that guy's really stupid sense of humor. You know, you're, you're, a, you're a better man for doing that. So please reach out to Dale. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote. Whether you've just started on your sales career or you're at the top of your game, we're confident the formula and skills in this book will help you dramatically change your client interactions and results online and in person. They will help you go from just one in the crowd to consistently standing out as the different and better choice. We invite you to dive in, give it your best, and work hard to become strikingly different it will be well worth your time. The book is Strikingly Different Selling, Six Vital Skills to Stand Out and Sell More. The authors are Dale Merrill, Scott Savage, Jennifer Calissimo, and Randy Illig. Dale, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune.